two years, guys. It has been two years since we started the podcast. And it has been such an incredible journey, but I just want to say thank you to all of my loyal listeners for being here to listen to the show and reaching out to the guests and sending in your questions and stuff like that. I love it. It's been incredible. So if you're not familiar with the show and you're just listening in, we do Pursuit of Relentless podcast to help people get access to people in their own careers that can help them get started in business or really develop their mindset so that they're maxing out every single day of their life. And it has been just such a beautiful journey over the last two years. Uh, I have learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about marketing and sales and business from the guests that I have interviewed. And I hope that you have too. So today is no different. We're going to have an awesome episode. I just wanted to come in and say a big thank you and congratulations. We made it two years. It's awesome. Keep listening. Keep sending in your questions. The website is launching really soon and you'll be able to get your merchandise and all that good stuff really, really quick here. We're just in the process of building it. So anyways, that's it for me. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pursuit of Relentless Podcast. You've got your host, Elena Natick here. And today, you guys are going to need your notebooks for sure. We have 50 years of experience here in the room today. So make sure that you're prepared for that to take some good notes and learn about success factors of growth. So today, I have Rich Rusikoff on the show. And I am super blessed to be able to interview you today. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Uh, It is certainly my pleasure. I love to talk to entrepreneurs and help in any way I can. Oh, that's so amazing. So tell us how you got started in business. What what led up to the person you are today? Well, first of all, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. So I've got it in my blood. And my parents were in the dry cleaning business in Philadelphia. My family was in the business for 76 years. And uh, I worked in the business every weekend, every summer, every holiday, until finally I made my break. And uh, I majored in communications at Temple University. I started my first business on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. My first wife and I went down there to teach. Teaching didn't work. And I loved the Outer Banks and wanted to stay. So we started a business and we became a destination place to go. We sold jewelry and gifts and crafts. We had a potter, a leather craftsman in our shop, and it was alive and exciting. So I started my business in my 20s, and I sold my first business after running it for nine years. So I have a lot of background and things I'd like to share with this audience. First of all, of what I wish I had known when I started, what made it work for us, and what I learned along the way. And if you want, I can just start there or continue to let you know my entire journey before we go back. Um, wherever you feel like going with it, really, I would love to hear what what happened on that journey, because that's a totally different place than where you're at today, right? Well, I believe that life has chapters and stages. And after I sold my business, we took three and a half months off, went to Europe, and I'm a believer in taking breaks and giving yourself a chance to think and regroup. And I moved to Richmond, Virginia and joined a business brokerage franchise. And while I was there, I saw people buy lemons and turn them into lemonades. 
and people buy lemonades and turn them into lemons. And my buyers became my sellers and my sellers became my buyers. So I learned so much more about running a business as a business broker added on to being uh, an entrepreneur. And then I was very fortunate enough to hook on with Inc. Magazine when I started coaching. And while I was at Inc., we studied the Inc. 500. And I learned why 18 to 20% of companies that made it to the 500 list were out of business within two years. And I've been coaching and speaking ever since the 80s. And I work with entrepreneurs in all types of industries. And uh, seven of the entrepreneurs I work with won the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner. Most of the entrepreneurs I work with have won the Inc. 500 or have been um, winners of other awards. I go by coach to the best. Uh, I love working with entrepreneurs. I love the fact that entrepreneurs have to think on their feet. They're willing to take risks and the best are lifetime learners. So should we go back to when I started the business? First of all, as an entrepreneur, you have to have a vision. And the thing is, visions are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got a vision. The trick is to go from a visionary to a leader and bringing together the resources you need, uh, the capital, the vendors, the clientele, and most of all, the team that will make it happen. Then you have to empower them to give them the resources they need. A great entrepreneur is a relationship builder and they get feedback from the community, from their vendors, from their clients. And most important, they have to overcome the fear of managing their financials and their numbers. Yeah. And as a financial advisor, uh, you probably know for sure by heart, inside and out, the top line is for ego. The bottom line is how savvy entrepreneurs keep score. And it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So once you become successful as an entrepreneur, you're going to want to make sure you're putting money aside. And it's wonderful to have the right people to guide you. So the first thing I would say regarding money is learn and understand the dynamics of your industry. Learn how to manage the margins for your industry. Make sure that you're pricing in a way that you will make money because it's one thing to have a business model. It's the financial model that ultimately proves that the business model works. And I find one of the mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they start up is they price too low. One of the reasons you price too low is, well, I'm going to get market share. The problem is you can't lose money on every sale and margins tend to shrink over time. And it's hard to go back to a client once you've established yourself at a higher margin because they're used to paying less for your services. You have to know your worth for sure. And it's it's a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face is, okay, well, I don't want to overcharge for my services, but I don't want to undercharge either. So depending on the industry, knowing your industry is everything. So in the financial industry, like I'm in, I thankfully am a broker, so I don't have to charge for my services, but it's like, 
if you look at the products I sell, for instance, like life insurance, we'll use that as an example. If you buy a term policy, it's going to be cheaper up front, but it's way more expensive long term. So education, I think, is a huge focus as well as teaching people uh, what's important to them. And I wish that I knew that in the beginning of my business, for sure. What are some of the what are some of the mistakes that you see happen all the time? Well, let's talk about insurance in my fourth year of business. We had just come back from a buying trip into um, into Arizona and New Mexico to buy Indian jewelry. Mm. And we had a fabulous collection and someone broke in and took 80% of our jewelry. We didn't have it in a safe. We just had left it out at night. We didn't know how vulnerable we were. And fortunately, our vendors worked with us to supply us with merchandise. But then we discovered our insurance policy was not a jeweler's block policy. And it only covered us up to $50 per item. So one of the lessons learned was read your insurance contracts. Mm -hmm. Know what you have. Don't assume out of karma people aren't going to break in. So every step of the way, getting educated, as you pointed out, is critical. Understanding how to manage people is important. I think one of the mistakes I made in the beginning was I wanted to be loved. And you may leave yourself very vulnerable when you want to be loved as opposed to wanting to be respected. And that means you set boundaries. It means that you hold people accountable, but you also empower them to bring out the best in them. And I believe you do that with a solid set of core values and leading by example. And you get the behavior you exhibit and the behavior you tolerate. I also believe in almost any business, you're in the hiring, requiring, inspiring, firing, communications, and training business. And the training aspect is critical. And that includes how a customer is treated, product knowledge. If you are open in in a retail, for example, if you're open till nine o'clock at night, somebody comes in at 8.59, you don't put jewelry away. You take care of the customer. So setting those standards are critically important. But I, if I had had a mentor or a coach to help me make sounder decisions, I would have been much more successful than I was. If I would have joined organizations like the Entrepreneur Organization or other organizations where there were peers of entrepreneurs that I could learn from and share from, I would have made better decisions sooner. I would have understood better how to price. I would have understood better how to compensate my employees. There are so many things you learn along the way that are wonderful to learn from experience. But it's invaluable to have an aide, to have a mentor, to have people in the industry that can help you. How much time do you think it would save someone if they are, for instance, just starting out in business and they have a mentor versus if they don't? Like when it comes to years to success, for example. I think I would have been profitable much sooner. We were really growing. We had a wonderful business. But because I didn't quite know how to price, 
I didn't quite know how to manage my margins. I left a lot of money on the table. And that was critical for growth. Also, we were very fortunate to get an SBA loan, which helped us grow the um, the business in terms of leasehold improvements for a building that we leased, which was right on the ocean. But I didn't have the right understanding of how much I could borrow had I shopped other banks. And had I had the additional capital, there was so much more I could have done by way of buying, by way of traveling overseas, by way of understanding what it took to have the best lighting in a retail store. Now, if you're in a service industry, you really want to understand your clients. You want to talk to clients about what are you doing right? Why are they doing business with you? And be aware that as you grow, it's harder and harder for you to be in touch with all your clients, and even know all the people that work for you. That's when you get to the various stages of growth. So when we um, at Inc. Magazine studied the class of 1985 to find out in 1987 why they were so successful. We were looking for, we were looking for the magic formula, the silver bullet. We were surprised to learn that 20% of the companies that made the Inc. 500 list were out of business within two years of making the list. Wow. Why do you think that is? Well, there were, there are several reasons. First of all, what gets you to one level won't get you to the next. So you have to be willing to change and grow. As you grow from one person to 10 people, that's the missionary stage. That's the stage where you're focused on sales. It's very exciting. Everybody does everything. It's creative systems are not as important. You may not be putting your financial systems together. But once you get to a million dollars in sales, now you have to be operations focused. And that's generally 10 to 25 people. And when you're operations focused, it means you're creating departments. It means you're putting systems into place. You have financials finally set up. And it's critically important that you have in place the people you need. But because you're focused on operations and you're going to 25 people, you may lose sight of being clearly in touch with your client base and even know everybody that works for you. And that generally takes you to about two and a half million. And then you get to purgatory, 25 to 50 million, excuse me, 25 to 50 people. And what used to work no longer works. The mantra, everybody does everything will kill you. At this point, you need people specific and accountable for various jobs. And otherwise, you're setting them up for failure. And the people that work so hard to get you from one level to another may no longer fit the model. And two of the biggest challenges for a CEO is first to learn how to delegate. If you can't delegate, you can't grow and you can't scale. And delegating is a two-phase act. 
One, I say, this is what we need you to do. Please share it with me so I know you understand it. And then two, I don't assume because I told you it, you got it and you'll do it. I have to make sure that you do it. And the best way is not for you to have to chase your people, but to say, when you get to this stage, I want you to come back and let me know what you've done and where you are. The next thing which is really hard, is sooner or later, you're going to have to let somebody go that in the beginning was invaluable. And in the beginning, you thought you could give them the store because they were so spirited and worked so hard. But as you grow, you're going to need people that you're going to pay more than them. And that's in phase three, where you start bringing on real C-level players. So that becomes a very hard phase and a very difficult thing to do. But again, it gets back to managing people. And in my book, People, Time, and Money, it talks about the importance of managing people correctly. Do not criticize in public, criticize in private. A great book is Pat Lencion's book, How to Overcome the Five Dysfunctions of a Leadership Team, beginning with trust, uh, where people trust one another and where you can share ideas and know how to disagree with people in a diplomatic way. But then when you get to that point where it's time to make a decision, everybody's committed to moving forward. And in doing that, the important thing is nobody leaves the meeting saying, that'll never work. This is going to fail. If you don't say it in the meeting, that's the makings of the dysfunctional team. So that's all part of creating the culture that you want. And then the fourth phase in Pat's model is accountability. And a great leadership team holds everyone accountable for what their job is and their actions. And the fifth is execution. Nothing matters if you don't execute. If you don't clearly state this is what we need to do to achieve, set critical performance indicators so people can know what's measurable and you can measure what people do. And that's the key that I teach when I first start to work with people. I take them through the stages of growth. Why take somebody in stage one through stage two or three so they know what's coming up, so they know what they have to prepare for, which is another thing. If you don't have a coach or you haven't done the right reading, you're going around to bend and you have no idea what you're getting into. Any question? <laughs> Uh, any questions or things you want to ask about or comment on, on what we've talked about so far? Yeah, I think when you talk about execution in particular, it's one thing to read a book versus putting it into action, right? So you can read all the books in the world. And if you don't implement any of the stuff that you're learning in it, you're not actually growing, right? And I think that that's a big mistake that people make when it comes to their businesses, is especially in my business. So I'm in financial services and people don't 
like to make phone calls. And I'm like, how do you expect to book appointments? You know, how do you, that's the execution piece of it though, right? And so they can do all the reading and show up to training and, you know, learn all the knowledge. But if they're not willing to have a conversation with someone, how are they supposed to grow? How are they supposed to get out of their comfort zone, you know, and actually learn when it comes to the next levels of their business? Why do you think people struggle with that? So that gets uh, to a couple points. First of all, are they the right people in the wrong job? And that's a very important consideration. There's a wonderful quote by Albert Einstein that says, we all have a genius, but if you judge a fish by their ability to climb a tree, they will always be stupid. They will always feel stupid. So many people have to be trained how to make a call and what type of call to make. And now in the insurance industry, I knew somebody who developed a system where they said, you have to get 10 leads a day. So how did they get leads? They would call and say, hi, my name's Rich Rusikoff. I'm just wondering when your insurance policy is up so that at that time I can get back to you and make a bid for your insurance. Now, I'm not selling you today. I'm asking you when it might come up and permission to call you to see if I can serve you better. When I was brokering businesses, I learned to call and say, hi, I'm wondering if you've reached the point where you're ready to sell your business to a qualified buyer. Now, the way I would get through the person who was whose job it was to keep people like me away from the boss, I have a business opportunity I'd like to discuss with your boss. He'll know in 30 seconds whether or not he's interested. So, and by the way, I'm dialing for dollars. If you're not interested in selling right now, my only other question is, do you know somebody who might be? Because I'm only interested if you're interested to sell. So it's once you get confidence in how to make a call and understand the importance. And for a sales team, I recommend when you hire someone in sales, and again, this I learned from someone else. The first thing you do is say, here are your KPIs. It takes 10 calls before you get to someone that could be a yes. And then it takes five to 10 calls to follow up with them. And then we have a warm call. And what do we do to close? So those are KPIs I think you should put in place for your salespeople. And if you're going to compensate them for performance, behaviors are the leading indicators of performance. Yes. So the behavior is making the calls, getting the context, understanding that nine out of 10 calls, you're going to get a no. And that's good. I got nine rejections. Now I'm ready for somebody to say yes. Yeah. Uh, my One of my mentors, his name's Greg Stranadka. And he said, Elena, the only difference between you and me is I've gotten more no's than you did. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. He said, you're literally on track to do everything that I've done in my business. All you got to do is you know, talk to more people about it. And I was just dumbfounded by that because when I was starting out in business, I didn't have an entrepreneurial background and I made all of the mistakes. And it took me three years to read one book that changed my life. And that was The Entrepreneur's Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. And I read that book and I went, 
dang it, I wish I read that three years ago, (laughs) you know, like just understanding that there's ebbs and flows in business and that you have to focus on your personal development and your growth in order to get to that next level. Because when you believe in yourself and you have that vision for your business, it's not just about having a vision. It's about being a leader and executing on a daily basis. And there's so many mistakes that people make. Who, Who goes into business and knows, first of all, even if you're today, there are so many dynamics as an impact as of the virus. Companies I'm working with, they never have turnover or experiencing turnover right now. Now, there's a plus side to that. That means other people are looking for business, are looking for new jobs. So uh, a great entrepreneur is always entrepreneurial. They're looking to the side for opportunities, traveling, uh, looking at other business models, are critical to growing what you have. And also 10 seminars. Um, I attended a seminar that taught me how to close. Do you like to know how to close? Yes, please. I just closed you. Ask a good question. Yes. When I was in the jewelry business, I would close by, I, I, I used to show somebody a ring, tell them all about it, and then wait for them to close. And then I said, do you like it? Would you like to own it? Eight ways to buy, you know, if we got there. But the thing is to learn the most valuable three-letter word is ask. And if you ask, you have the most likelihood of getting results. Speaking of that, if you're looking for a mentor and there's someone who you think could help, ask them. Most entrepreneurs, most people, if they're asked, will take an interest in you and will be happy to help you. When I ask my clients what it is that I give them that's most valuable, they say a sounding board. Sometimes just to have a sounding board to share your ideas who might encourage them or challenge them and help you find the right path is invaluable to making smart decisions. That's how I can tell you are an incredible coach. You're not just trying to tell people, oh, you just need to go do this, go do this, go do this. It's asking the questions, what would you do in this situation? Or what? what's your outcome? What are you looking to achieve from that, for instance, that is way more helpful because then they're thinking through their process. Maybe you don't know what their process is 100%, but they're thinking through their process and going, oh, I can fix that. Or maybe I need to hire someone in this department, right? Or maybe that person that's not able to make the phone call is really good on the front counter, you know, and you're just able to replace them uh, in the sales role, for instance, with someone who's going to be a better fit. And then they're going to thrive so much more in their department, right? Exactly. And it's just someone, if it's someone you can trust, who has experience, who has your best interest at stake, uh, it's a gift. So what would you say the number one mistake that new business owners uh, make? First of all, whatever you think something is going to cost, I have a, a formula, double it and add 30%. So if you if the earning curve takes longer than the learning curve, you're out of business. So you have to make sure you have enough capital to make it work. It's critically important to budget and to figure out when will the business model kick in. So how long will it take to get a customer? How much will the customer pay? When will you reach break even? And again, 
as conservative as you may figure, be more conservative. Because once you run out of money, you can't go backwards and you can't go forward. So that's the first step. Get real clear on who you believe your client is. And that may change, but make sure you have a clear model as to why what you're going to do will work. And who is your client? Know who uses, chooses, benefits, and buys, and who you're competing with. For example, if your client is the government, anything can change. It's really important to get a handle on the playground you're in. I work exclusively with entrepreneurs. I don't work with corporations. I don't work with nonprofits. I don't work with the government. I want to work with people that can say yes. So it's very helpful if you can have a client base going in. If you can have one, two, or three clients to work with that'll work with you. And it's also important that you commit the time it's going to take to make the business grow. Yes. Amen. That is so important. I have so many people that kick themselves out of my business in particular because they won't put in the time to get the licensing done. And I'm like, guys, you clearly can't be a financial advisor without a license. And they're like, oh, it's just so much work. And I'm like, then you're not cut out for entrepreneurship, you know, because if you think getting a license is that hard, then you aren't ready for what's next because it's it's just going to keep getting harder and harder and harder and then it's going to get easier and then you're going to hit a wall and then you're going to have to keep going and it's that's the growth process right that we were just talking about and also if you get the license there's a lot of learning involved there you're going to come away with more knowledge it's not just doing algebra and never using it again in your life right no it's especially in the money industry it's learning things that are valuable to understand and like just understanding that growth is a process is enough of a takeaway from today's conversation and just understanding that people need to be in specific roles like the entrepreneur needs to be the visionary they need to be the one painting the picture this is where we're going this is what we're trying to achieve because if you're having someone else try and tell what the entrepreneur entrepreneur is trying to get across, it's not going to be as impactful. Yes, you can say, we're going to go change the lives of millions of families, but if it's not coming from the right person, they might not listen. So you just reminded me of something. Someone asked me to describe an entrepreneur in one word, and the word I selected was survivor. And then I started playing with it. And the S stands for staying power. And staying power comes from having a clear vision and staying power uh, also comes from capital. The U, and I may forget one or two things here, the U is a sense of urgency. Uh, When you see an opportunity, you need to move on it. It's critically important that you create a can-do culture. The first R is relationship building. Without relationships, nothing matters. And entrepreneurship, your building, your business without relationships can't exist. You are in the relationship building and the trust building industry. More than anything else, that's why your customers uh, come back to you. The first V is values. When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. And what made me think of this is the I, which is I alone 
and responsible. It's not a democracy. As uh, one of my favorite stories is from Doris Kern's book uh, about Abraham Lincoln, Team of Rivals, where he said to his cabinet, and each one of his cabinet members thought they should be president and they were smarter than him. He said to the cabinet, I want to do, to propose an emancipation proclamation. And he vehemently and passionately shared why he wanted to free the slaves. And he said, okay, let's put it to a vote. All opposed and every hand went up. He said, all in favor and his hand went up. And he said, looks like the eyes have it. (laughs) Yeah. Because ultimately you're responsible and you have to make the key decisions. The next letter is another V, and that's vital measures. And that's really understanding how to manage the margins, how to read your financial statements, making sure you get solid, clear, real-time financial information so you can make the best possible decisions. Learning how to read a balance sheet. I would say 70% of entrepreneurs in business less than three years don't know how to read a balance sheet. Now, I made that number up. I have no stats to back it, just experience. But a savvy entrepreneur learns that you keep score by your balance sheet Mm -hmm. because your balance sheet shows, do you have more wealth and more assets or less? at any given time. And also, you want to see your financials on an accrual basis and on a cash basis. So you really know what you have. And one of the most important vital measures is, are you managing your accounts receivable? Mm -hmm. If you have accounts receivable, you want to see who's paying within 30 days, who's 60 days, who's 90 days out, because that's your money. And it critically If you're in the inventory business, it's really important to know your A inventory, which is inventory that turns and moves quickly, and you never want to be out of it. Your B inventory is inventory that turns, but not as fast. So you don't need to reorder it as fast or have as much. Your C inventory is dead. Get rid of it. Turn it over. Sell it and weep, but sell it. Don't sit on it. It's costing you an insurance. It's costing you an opportunity and it's taking up space. So then I get to the O and that's opportunity awareness. And as I said, opportunities come from the side. So that's survivor and uh, responsibility is the final R. Responsibilities to your team, responsibilities to your vendors and taking care of your customers. That is so incredible. I love that acronym. Uh, Like everything about it. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. For sure. All of those things matter. And it's all about taking that personal responsibility for your business and going, hey, if it is to be, it's up to me. Like I have to be the one driving the ship. That's exactly right. And also when you're asking about why 18 to 20% of the businesses go out of business. And I talked about the importance of you have to be be a lifetime learner. You have to be agile and flexible as things change. You have to change. But also a wonderful book to read is, let me see, um, 
It's by Gay Hendricks, and it's called Taking the Big Leap. And when I read Taking the Big Leap, it was a huge aha, and I now do seminars on it. But the two key things from the book is understanding where your zone of genius is. Zone of genius is something you love doing. You do it for free. Time stands still when you're doing it. You have energy when you're doing it. Being able to share like I am with you, I'm lit. Uh, this is zone of genius for me. What happens is many entrepreneurs get caught up in zone of excellence, things they're very good at, but it doesn't light their fire and they don't love it. Or their zone of competence, which they're okay at, but they other people can do it much better. Or their zone of incompetence, where they suck at it. So you don't want to do anything in your zone of incompetence. You want to do little or nothing in your zone of competence and don't get caught up in the zone of excellence. Put your time and energy with what you do best and what you love doing and find others whose zone of genius is in these other activities. The other piece from that is overcoming upper limits barriers, which are barriers that are established when you are a child. The adults told you, you can't do this, you can't do that. And your upper limits barriers are voices that are going from ear to ear and sabotage your success, self-sabotage your success. So, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. So you can sabotage it by by drugs, by alcohol, by affairs. There's all kinds of ways you can sabotage your ability to continue to succeed. Another one is you're in a family, you're exceptional. So it requires others to do things for you, like taking you to events and providing you with things. So many times people feel within their family, they're successful. And the fear is, well, I have to pull back because I can't really share that with my family. So understanding upper limit barriers, barriers and how to overcome them, living within your zone of genius and being on fire After all, if you're the entrepreneur, you ought to be able to establish where you put your focus and where it's the best for the company. This has literally been gold. I wish I could show you all my notes, (laughs) how much I wrote down from that, because I'm like, I need to implement this into my business and this and this and this. But I, I think even just like finishing up here, understanding your zone of genius is one of the most critical tasks that you need to understand about yourself because it's where you're gonna thrive. And there's gonna be other people who are in different roles in your company that need to be moved around because they're stagnant or they're not in a place where they're having fun anymore. And I think that understanding that you can move them around is really important. So maybe you have to create a different job title. Maybe you have to, you know, have them manage a different department or something like that. And just understand that they will continue to thrive if you let them. Yes. Assuming you have the right spot for them. Uh, What I always recommend is first create your org chart. What positions do you need? What are the key factors for each of those positions? And then don't try to put the person in the position. Find the right 
person for the position because you can get in trouble by putting somebody in a position where they're an underachiever because it's the wrong job for them. I agree. Well, I want my audience to get way more access to you and your coaching. So I know they're all going to go get your book, um, People, Time and Money. But whereabouts can people get in contact with you? Uh, well, I uh, rich and coach to the best uh, will get in touch with me. And my website is coach to the best. And I have a coach to the best YouTube channel. Wow. Amazing. I'm totally going to go follow you right now. Well, here's another thing. Why is that all happening? Because of Lucy Martinez, who is our um, marketing guru. And we work with Lucy. She's a CMO. She's virtual. So I can have wonderful hours from her, whereas I couldn't afford to have her full time. And I also would want to point out that my wife and I are partners together. And uh, she considers herself the coach to the coach. So that's what got me to where I am. It's the relationship piece of it though, right? When you have the right people in your life that are supporting you and encouraging you and sometimes pushing you to do the things that you might not want to do, but you know need to be done. It's those people that you want to keep around that are really helping you next level yourself and next level your business. Totally. And that's where the R in relationships comes in. Yeah. Amazing. Well, make sure you guys go and subscribe to his YouTube channel and get access to his coaching and... I think that it's super important that people ask for help. Like you were saying, it's one thing that I wish I did more of when I first started in business, 100%. Throughout our lives, it's invaluable to have people that uh, can help us. You are a great kindred spirit. This has been fun. I hope we'll continue to connect. Yeah, I have so much to go implement for sure. I'm like, oh my goodness. I want to go and write so much more down about what I'm thinking in my brain right now about all of this, even like the, just the, the whole piece of that survivor. I'm like, yes, yes. I love that so much. So thank you so much for today. I really appreciate your time. It has been absolutely incredible. I know the audience loved it too. So make sure you guys support Rich in his journey and uh, utilize his coaching for yourselves. So thank you so much. Yeah. Until next time, uh, that's Pursuit of Relentless signing out.